Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode on Insanity Forever podcast. In today's episode, we will be learning about learning and discussing the Villisca Axe murders. Before I get right into the episode, um, we now have a Facebook page. Um, if bear with me one minute whilst I go in to the page managers app. Let's have a look. Yes, if you would like to follow us over on Facebook, our username is in Sanity Forever Official, or type in Insanity Forever Podcast in Facebook, and we will pop up. Um, also, we are on Twitter as well at Real. IF podcast, uh, or equally, if you don't have Twitter, you can just follow us on Facebook. As I say, just type in Insanity Forever podcast, and we are also on Instagram. On Instagram, we are Insanity. Uh, our username is Insanity Forever Official on Instagram. So, you know, in case you want to follow us, uh, share what you think of the podcast or share any possible future episode ideas, then by all means follow us on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, whichever is easiest for you. Right, so without further ado, let's get straight into it. Right, the the Velisca Axe murders occurred b- between the evening of June tenth, nineteen twelve, and the early morning of June eleventh, nineteen twelve, in the town of Velisca in a southwestern Iowa. The six members of the Moore family and two house guests were found bludgeoned in the Moore residence. All eight, all eight victims, including four children, had severe head wounds from an axe. A lengthy investigation yielded several suspects, one of whom was tried twice. The first trial ended in a hung jury, and the second ended in an acquittal. The crime remains unsolved. So, that's so, and this is the first time that I've heard of this, so we're both learning together. So, this murder still remains unsolved to this day so 1912 so that's 
more than a hundred plus years. An article in the in the day book, Chicago, fourteenth of June, nineteen twelve, depicting five of the victims and the house. The Moore family consisted of parents, Josiah B, aged 43, Sarah Lee Montgomery, 39, and their four children, Herman Montgomery, aged 11, Mary Catherine, aged 10, Arthur Boyd, aged 7, and Paul Vernon, aged 5. An affluent, affluent family, the Moors were well known and well liked in the community. On June 10th, 1912, Mary Catherine Moore invited Ina May and Lena Gertrude Singer to spend the night at the, res- at the Moore residence. That evening, the visiting girl, the visiting girls, and the Moore family attended. The Presbyterian Church, where they participated in the Children's Day program, which Sarah Moore had co- coordinated. After the, pro- the program ended at 9:30 p.m., the Moores and the Stillinger sisters walked to the Moores' house, arriving between 9:45 and 10 p.m. At 7am the next day, Mary, Mary Peckham, the Moore's neighbour, became concerned after she noticed that the Moore family had not come out to do their morning chores. Peckham knocked on the Moore's door when nobody answered. She tried to open the door and discovered that it was locked. Peckham let the Moore's chickens out and called Ross Moore. Josiah Moore's brother. Like Peckham, Moore received no response when he knocked on the door and shouted. He unlocked the front door with his copy of the house key. While Peckham stood on the porch, Moore went into the parlour and opened the guest bedroom door, where he found Ina and Lena, stealing his bodies on the bed. Moore immediately told Peckham to call Hank Horton, Velisca's primary peace officer, who arrived shortly thereafter. Horton's search of the house revealed that the entire Moore family and the two Stenninger girls had been bludgeoned to death. The murder weapon and axe belonging to Josiah was found in the guest room, where the Stenninger sisters were found. Doctors concluded that the murders had taken place between midnight and 5am. Two spent cigarettes in the attic suggested that the killer or killers patiently waited in the attic until the Moore family and the Stillinger guests were asleep. 
The killers began in the master bedroom where Josiah and several more were sleeping. Josiah received more, received more blows from the axe than any other victim. His face had been cut to such an extent that his eyes, that his eyes were missing. They used the blade of the axe on Josiah whilst using the blunt end on the rest of the victims. They proceeded into the child into the children's rooms and bludgeoned, and bludgeoned Herman, Mary Catherine, Arthur and Paul in the head in the in the same manner as their parents. They returned to the master bedroom to inflict more blows on the elder Moors, knocking over a, du- a shoe that had filled with blood. Before moving downstairs to the guest bedroom and killing Ina and Lena, investigators believed that all of the victims, except for Lena, had been asleep when murdered. They thought she was awake and tried to fight back. As she was found lying crosswise on the bed and with a defensive wound on her arm, Lena's nightgown was pushed up to her waist and she was wearing no undergarments, leading to law enforcement speculation that the killer sexually molested or attempted to do so. So, you have... So you have a well, a a very well respected family within a neighbourhood. Um, again, I don't. Again, I don't know. I don't know the structure of the neighbourhood. I don't know the layout. So <laughs> you know. Someone from from someone who lives in the UK, we are not familiar with the street layout in America. So, I'm assuming that during this time in Villisca, southwest of Iowa, I'm guessing it's a close knit neighbourhood. Everyone knows everyone that community feel I'm guessing and these and this family was well liked by everyone but the problem with that is is they may be very well liked by a lot of people but there's a, but there there is always that one person or two per two people who despise the family in any situation. So, <clears throat> so they arrive back between nine forty-five and ten p.m. Everything seems normal. 
so they each go to their, go to their rooms and go to sleep. Now, I have a couple of questions. One, how did the killer or killers enter enter the house without anyone seeing them or even hearing them? That's the first part. Second part is How did they get into the attic? Because I'm assuming that there's only one way into the attic and that's through a lapse that you have to pull down and walk upstairs. Unless, and you know, I'm not an expert on attics, um, unless there was a way in on excuse me unless there was there was a, a way in on the top of the roof but that doesn't make sense because Back then, in 1912, they wouldn't have an opening on the roof to enter the attic. So, so how would they have been able to enter the house unknown, remain in the attic, for God knows how long, not make a sound, and silently walk around, killing each member of the family. Something, I mean, obviously, you know, this is probably why the the Villisca Axe murders are still unsolved to this day. But it seems very strange to me how, you know, you know, it... And, you know, I have an inkling, and this is just my um, conspiracy theory. Maybe it was an inside job, because, because this person or this person or persons knew exactly where to go in the house.
if this were do- if this was done by I don't know two killers killers from out of town totally out of the way of this this little community community they wouldn't have a clue of which rooms to go into you wouldn't have you wouldn't have a sense of which way to go to get out quickly or you wouldn't know a hiding spot where you can hide and not be seen or detected so you would have had to known have known your way around that house like the back of your hand and the only and the only thing I can that seems logical to me and please again if you would like to follow us on Facebook or Instagram um let us know what you think um because i'm I'd be really interested in to know your thoughts uh, let us know let us know but i it ha- it must have been, it must it had to have been an an inside job it could have been Josiah's older brother because he that is his axe was found with blood on it but also you know but it could also have been it could have been Josiah and his brother working together because again If this was an outside job, that doesn't make that that doesn't make sense because then would have had to because then those people would have had to scouted the area. They would have had to somehow sneak into the house you know, when the family was out so they would have had to sneak in on a random day get a good layout of the house know which, right, know which rooms to go in and in, in what order and then get out without being seen by any other neighbours. That sounds a bit too far fetched to me. You know, I mean I know I know criminal criminals and murderers do go to extraordinary lengths. But my gut instinct, my gut feeling is that it was an inside job. You know, because who, you know, 
Josiah could have well been could well have been asleep. But he could have just said that because he could have just got up walked out walked up walked up to a small flat of stairs or excuse me into the attic where his brother would have waited would have waited or you know he might not have been he might not have been a male, it could have been an, an, another female in the attic. Might it might have been his 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 lover? You know, this could have been pre-planned. You know, they go out. This looks more like a pre-planned, a pre a pre-planned murder. A premeditated murder. He goes out with the family. They have a nice time. Meanwhile, his assailant or his um his what do you call it? His accomplice goes in. You know, um if someone opened his door, he may have, he or she may have said, oh, I've come to fix whatever, as, you know, as an alibi, you know, dressed up as a plumber or whatever, walked in, went up, right? then he or she headed straight to the attic, Right, went up and just basically hid, hidden away. And then <coughs> Josiah and his family and the two Stillinger girls come back. They enter their rooms and they go to bed. And then Josiah pretends to be asleep. And he waits for his wife and the four kids to fall asleep so that no one awake. He, he in inverted commas, wake, wakes up, goes up to the attic where his accomplice is waiting. He or she... Finds his brother's axe, and they go and they each go into 
each each room and they proceed to <coughs> kill them. Or Josiah could have been killed and it could have been not Josiah, it could have been his older brother and the accomplice. No. It this is this is this is the thing when you have a case that's also unsolved. You know, um, there's not a lot to go on. You know, they're not, they don't have, this family is well liked in the community by the one. So it's hard, it's hard to sort of, You know, pinpoint what happened. But over time, many possible suspects emerged, including Reverend George Kelly, Frank F. Jones, William Mansfield, Loving, Loving Mitchell, and Henry Lee Moore. No relation. George Kelly was tried twice for the murder. The first ended in a hung jury, while the second trial ended in acquittal. Other suspects in the investigation were also exonerated. Every transient and otherwise unaccounted for stranger was a suspect in the murders. One such suspect was a man named Andy Sawyer. No, no real evidence linked Sawyer to the crime, but his name came up often in grand jury testimony, testimonies. Now that's now. Could that be a coincidence? A coincidence? Were they trying to pin it on him? Because it is weird how his name, you know, and Andy Sawyer was a suspect, but there was no real evidence linked that linked him to the crime. It seemed a bit odd to me. According to Thomas Dyer of Burlington, Iowa, a bridge foreman and pile driver for the Burlington Railroad SA, Andy Sawyer approached his crew in Creston at 6 a.m. on the morning the murders were, dis- the murders were discovered. Sawyer was clean-shaven, 
wearing a brown suit when he arrived. His shoes were covered in mud and his pants were wet nearly to the knees. He asked for employment and as Diane needed an extra man, he was given a job on the spot. So, you know, good for him. I'm guessing at that time employment employment was hard. You know, so good for him. He got he got a job on the spot. Obviously it was like that for everyone these days, but you know. Dyer testified that late that later that evening when the crew reached Fontenelle, Iowa, Sawyer purchased a newspaper and went and went off by himself to read it. The newspaper carried a front carried a front page account of the Willisca murders, and according to Dyer, Sawyer was much interested in it. Dyer's crew complained that Sawyer slept with his clothes on and was anxious to be by himself. They were also uneasy that Sawyer slept with his axe next to him. He often talked of the Vizca murders and whether or not a killer had been apprehended. I'll just repeat that again. Um, Dyer's Dyer's crew complained that Sawyer slept slept with his clothes clothes on, and was anxious to be by himself. They were also uneasy that Sawyer slept with his axe next to him. He often talked of the Villisca murders and whether or not a killer had been apprehended. He reportedly told Dyer that he had been in Villisca that Sunday night and had heard of the murders. Afraid of being taken as a suspect, he had left and gone to question. Dyer was, sus- was suspicious. Rightly so, and turned him over to the sheriff on June eighteenth, nineteen twelve. So, so the murder took place on June twelfth. Well, between June te- June June tenth and June twelfth of nineteen twelve, he was turned over to the, to the sheriff on June eighteenth. So that's four or five days later, maybe six. <laughs> So, <clears throat> pretty, fairly quick, Dyer later testified that prior to the sheriff's arrival, he walked up behind Sawyer, he, he was rubbing his head with both hands and suddenly jumped up and said to himself, I will cut your goddamn heads off. At the same time, 
He made striking motions with the axe and began hitting the piles in front of him. <coughs> Dyer's son, J.R., testified that one day, as the crew drove, as the crew drove through Villisca, Sawyer told him he would show J.R. where the man who killed the Moore family got out of town. He said the man that did the job jumped over a manure box, which he pointed out by one half blocks away, and then showed where he crossed the railroad track. Railroad track. JR said there were footprints in the soggy ground north of the embankment. Sawyer told JR to look on the other side of the car and said he would show him an old tree where the murderer stepped into the creek, according to JR. He looked over and saw such a tree south of the track about four blocks away. Sawyer was dismissed as a suspect in the case when officials learned that he could prove he had been in Oscar, Iowa, on the night of the murders. He had been arrested for vagrancy there, and the Oscar sheriff recalled putting him on a train to send him away. At approximately 11pm that evening, Reverend George Kelly, Kelly was an, was an English-born traveller minister in town on the night of the murders. Kelly was described as peculiar, reportedly having suffered a mental breakdown as an adolescent. As an adult, he was accused of peeping and several times asking young women and girls to pose nude for him. On June, excuse me, on June 8th, 1912, he came to Villisca to teach at the Children's Children's Day Services, which the Moore family attended on June 10th, 1912. He left town between 5am and 5.30am on June 11, 1912, hours before the bodies were discovered. Reverend Kelly had confessed to the murders in court, but the jury didn't believe his confession. Now, uh, <coughs> now they probably suspected him straight away because you know if we if we were to go off or go off on the like mental breakdown, you know they probably already suspected. The Reverend, because of the men, because of the mental breakdown, <laughs> but and I don't really understand, really understand why he confessed to the murders when he probably probably didn't do it. And obviously, the jury didn't. The jury didn't believe his confession either. So, but another one to keep in mind of 
In the weeks that followed, he displayed a fascination with the case and wrote many letters to the police, investigators and family of the, the, and family of the deceased. This aroused suspicion and a private investigator wrote back to Reverend Kelly asking for details that the minister might know about the murders. Kelly replied with great detail, claiming to have heard sounds and possibly witnessed the murders. His known mental illnesses made authorities question whether he knew the details because of having committed the murders or was imagining his his account. So, again, you know, there is like, these forces like to bring up the mental health card when you know but you know <clears throat> in 1914 two years after the, after the murders Kelly was arrested for sending obscene material through the mail he was sexually harassing a woman who applied for a job as his secretary he was sent to St Elizabeth's Hospital the National Hospital, the, the National Mental Hospital in Washington, D.C. Investigators speculated, speculated again that Kelly could be the murderer of the Moore family. In 1917, Kelly was arrested for the Villisca murders. Police obtained a confession from him. However, it followed many hours of interrogation and Kelly later recanted after two separate trials, he was acquitted. Frank Fernando Jones was a Villisca resident and an Iowa State Senator. Josiah Moore had worked for Frank Jones at his implement store for many years before leaving to open his his own store. Moore reportedly took business away from jo- away from Jones, including a very successful John Deere dealership. Moore was rumored to have had a sexual affair with Jones's daughter-in-law, though no evidence evidence supports this. Another another theory was that Senator Jones hired William Blackie Mansfield to murder the Moore family. It is believed that Mansfield Mansfield was a serial killer because he murdered his wife, infant children and parents-in-law with with an axe two years after the Villisca crimes. He he is believed to have committed the axe murders in Paola, Kansas four days before the Villisca crimes he was also suspected in the double homicide of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Illinois. Each crime each crime site was accessible by train and all murders were carried out in virtually the same manner the same manner. Mansfield was released After a special grand, a special grand jury of Montgomery County 
refused refused to indict him on grounds that his alibi shut out nine months nine months before the murders at Villisca, a similar case of axe murder occurred in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Two axe murder cases followed in El in Ellsworth, Kansas, and Parada, Kansas, Kansas. The cases were similar enough to raise the possibility of having been committed by the same person. Other murders reported as possibly being linked to these crimes include the numerous unsolved, the numerous unsolved axe murders along the Southern Pacific Railroad from 1911 to 1912. The unsolved axeman of New Orleans killings as well as several other such murders during this time period. The murders in Colorado Springs were closely related in execution to those in the Morehouse. Nine, mon- nine months before the Villisca murders, <coughs> nine months before the, the Villisca murders, H.C. Wayne, his wife and child, and Mrs. A.J. Burnham were found dead in Colorado Springs. Murdered by axes. This this guy must must have a fetish. A fetish. Um, the Colorado Springs police found it difficult to believe that the same person could perpetrate a similar crime in a city, as in the as in the Villisca murders. Bed seats were used to cover the windows to prevent passers-by from looking in at the Moore house. The murderer hung aprons and skirts to cover the windows. As in the murders in the Villisca, the murderer in Colorado Springs wiped the blood off his axe and covered the heads of the victims with bedclothes with bed cross. Um Mansfield was also the prime suspect of the Burns Detective Agency Agency of Kansas City and Detective James Newton Wilkerson, who suggested that he was a cocaine addict cocaine addicted serial killer. According to contemporary contemporary news reports, Wilkerson believed Mansfield was responsible for the axe murders of his wife, infant child, father-in-law and mother-in-law in Blue Island, Illinois. On, Ju- on July 5th, 1914, two years after the Villisca murders, the axe murders committed in Parada, Parada, Kansas, four days before the Valeska murders and the murders of Jenny Peterson and Jenny Miller in Aurora, Illinois. 
According to Wilkerson's investigation, all of the murders were committed in precisely the same manner, indicating that, indicating that the same man probably committed, committed them, which <coughs> I would go along with that because <coughs> it, it's... <coughs> It's the same MO, the same modus operandi. They are both, they are all committed in the same way, the same style. They all match. They all they all correlate. Wilkerson Berkus, stated that he could prove that Mansfield was present in each of the differing crime scenes on the night of the murders. In each murder, the victims were hacked to death with an axe and the mirrors in the homes were covered. A burning lamp with the chimney off was left at the foot of the bed and a basin in which the murderer was was found in the kitchen. In each case, the murderer avoided leaving fingerprints by wearing gloves, which Wilkerson believed was strong evidence that the man was a manfield, who knew his fingerprints were on file at the Federal Military Prison at Leavenworth, Wilkerson managed to convince a grand jury to open an investigation in 1916 and Mansfield was arrested and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. Payroll records, however, provided an alibi that placed Mansfield in Illinois Just sorry about this. I've lost where I was for a minute. Uh, let me just find my way, find my way back. Um Yeah, who knew his fingerprints were on file at the Federal Military Prison at Leavenworth. Wilkerson managed managed to convince a grand jury to open an investigation in nineteen sixteen and Marshfield was arrested. 
and brought to Montgomery County from Kansas City. <coughs> payroll, re- payroll records, however, provided an alibi that placed Mansfield in Illinois at the time of the Williska murders. He was released for a lack of evidence and later won a lawsuit he brought against Wilkerson and was awarded two thousand two hundred sorry awarded two thousand two hundred and twenty five dollars. Wilkerson believed that pressure from Jones resulted not only in Mansfield in Mansfield release but also in the subsequent subsequent arrest and trial of Reverend Kelly. However, R. Hanks Thorpe, a, res- a restaurant owner from uh, Shenandoah, Iowa, identified Mansfield as the man he saw the morning after the Villisca murders. Boarding a train at Clarinda, this man said he had walked from Villisca. If proven to be true, this testimony would disprove Mansfield's alibi. Furthermore, it was reported that a Mrs. Viner Tompkins, Tompkins of Marshalltown was on her way to testify that she heard three men in the woods plotting the murder of the Moore family a short time before the killings. Henry Lee Moore, no relation. Henry Lee Moore was a suspected serial killer who was not related to the slain Moore family, who was convicted of the murder of his mother, mother and grandmother. Several months after the murders in Villisca, his weapon of choice being an axe, before and after the murders in Villisca, the very similar acts, murders on his mother and grandmother, were committed, and all of the case, cases showed striking similarities, leading to strong suspicion that some or all of the crimes were committed by an axe murdering serial killer. And just like Blackie Mansfield, that axe murdering Henry Moore can also be considered a suspect in some of these slayings. <clears throat> At the inquest, it was reported that Sam Moyer, Josiah's brother-in-law, often threatened to kill Josiah Moore. However, upon further investigation, Moyer's alibi cleared him of the crime. In their 2017 book, The Man from the Train, Bill, Bill James and his daughter, Rachel McCarthy James, discuss the Villisca murders as part of a much larger series of murders, which they believe were all committed by a single serial killer. They conclude this murderer was Paul Mueller, or Miller, an immigrant, possibly from Germany, who was the subject of an unsuccessful year-long manhunt as the sole suspect in the 1897 murder of a family in West Brookfield 
Massachusetts, who had employed him as a farm as a farmhand. James started his research in an in an attempt to solve the solve the Villisca murders, and with his daughter found archival newspaper stories detailing dozens of families murdered under similar circumstances across the US. The Jameses thus believe that Muller was guilty of the Velasco murders as part of a killing spree that lasted over a decade, killing at least 59 people in 14 separate incidences. Including the Colorado Springs and Powell crimes, the Jameses identify common features to these crimes, many of which are also found at the Villisca scene. The killer selected families who lived near railroad tracks, hence their book's title, seemingly struck in ambush at about midnight while the victims were asleep, used the blunt used the blunt side of an axe rather than the blade to strike the victims in the head and face. Used an axe found at the victim's home and left in plain sight after the murders. The killer covered the victims with blankets to prevent prevent blood, blood spatter, covered windows from inside the house, and locked the doors before departure. In Mueller's, in, Mueller, in Mueller's suspected crimes, there was often, but not always, a sexual motive directed towards a pubescent girl. As with Lena being partly disrobed, in a blurb on the dust jacket of the hardcover edition of The Man from the Train, Professor and crime writer Howard Sector writes that the Jameses offered the most probable probable solution yet for the Villisca murders. So, <coughs> they had at least <coughs> three to maybe four suspe- suspects with not very concrete evidence, evidence to suggest they did it. Um, it's a bit of a tough one, this. Um... Like, like I say, <coughs> uh, let me know what you think. Um, by, all, by all means, follow us on Facebook at, let me get it back up again.
yeah, follow us at on Facebook at in in Sanity Forever Podcast, and also follow us on Instagram at Insanity in Sanity Forever Official. Um, I will put the link down below in the description. Uh, so go and follow us over there. Um, you know, let us know your feedback, what you think. Uh, let us know what topics you want us to discuss. Um, any ideas for podcast episodes. So that'll be it for today's episode, guys. Thank you for joining. Uh, we really do appreciate all and any support you show us. So, yeah. Um, we will see you in the next episode. See you later, guys. Bye. Have a good week. <laughs>